and uh, thank you for taking time out of your schedules here to join us uh, as we give you a sh we share uh, uh, a little bit about um, uh, Finding Waypoints, um, a, a book that uh, that we've worked on for, for quite a while. But before I get into that, I, again, I would like to first, um, first of all, thank uh, Thank IWP, Dr. Lanchowski, and, and Katie, and all the folks that were involved in, in, in putting us, uh, bringing us here to get. Uh, um, it is, um, I normally break out in the hives when I'm in the academic uh, surroundings. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but it's, it's great to be home, and, and I, I thank you all for, for welcoming us back. Welcome us back. And, and Kurt Bauer, uh, uh, sir, thank you. It is it is um, it is humbling that uh, for you to um, to sponsor this. But you know, Kurt Bauer, in his own right, has um, you know, it's men like Kurt and their, uh, his and their families, uh, particularly our Vietnam veteran, uh, uh, as a Vietnam veteran, that ultimately paved the way for people like me to continue to serve, continue to. Um, to be of value, um, you know, a lot of our ADA laws, our access um, are for the wars that they fought after they came back um, so, that, so that everyone could, be, could have a better life, not just veterans. And, and um, I think that's something that your generation, particularly the veterans, don't get a, get a lot of credit for. But... but um, um, our veterans as a whole throughout our nation's history have been the ones um, that have paved the way for, for uh, uh, the greatest access in, in our disability community. So, thank you, so Kurt. Thank you, Kurt. Um, before um, we get into the, the I, we don't have a thick of things, but what we'd like to do is really kind of share with you um, um, share with you our book, give you some insights, the things that you won't necessarily uh, glean from uh, from reading uh, from reading the book. Um, um, we'll certainly answer any questions that uh, that you might have um, about it. But um, it's been a it's been a journey of 16 years, um, and uh, I'm going to pass. The Florida Teresa with that with that segue there. I can tell a Kurt Bauer story. <laughs> it's a it, uh, when I first met Kurt, um, I had met Greg just a little December '07. Yeah, um, I met I the met you in September. Right. And I worked for the what was then known as the Pentagon Channel, um, which no longer exists. It was part of AFN. Um, I was a producer there. We did a daily show, and then later I did documentaries there. Um, don't blame me. I know it wasn't maybe the greatest television you've ever watched. Um, uh, but I did a show called Recon, which was the, their flagship uh, documentary series. And I was uh, assigned, happily, to go to Breckenridge, where there was a Wounded Warrior skiing event. And you... It was at the time. It was USA Disabled Sports, Disabled Sports, Sports, Sports USA. Disabled Sports USA. So um, uh, I had done my uh, legwork um, leading up, and had arranged to have uh, a snowmobile take us up the slope so that we would be able to get shots of 
the guys skiing and you know from all angles and you're like well i get there and um no snowmobile to be found nowhere and i have a very cantankerous photographer with me a videographer who's just angry He's also suffering from altitude sickness, I think, and he's just was such a nightmare. <laughs> so I'm dealing with Mr. Grumpy, and I can't get up the hill, and Mr. Grumpy saying, nice work, producer, you can't even get us into the story. And um, I said to Kirk, I, I, I had asked for a snowmobile, and I, I, I haven't seen one, and I can't get one, and, and um, he said, hold on a second. And you walked away, and um, I could overhear him just raising all kind of hell to somebody on the phone. And it was not too long before we had our snowmobile, and we got to go up the hill and get some beautiful shots of all of you guys skiing up there. And as I was standing there is when I met Billy Denby, which was, who was another amazing, wonderful advocate. And um, they were both mentioned, both Billy and, and Kirk are mentioned in the book. So, yeah. So that was one of the first stories I covered with you. Yep, yep, in that, it. yep. And, uh, um, away from Walter Reed, right? Right, away yep. from Walter Reed and yeah. Yeah. I think yep. your friend Chuck bought me a beer that night and it took me all night to drink it. <clears throat> took me a long time to live that down. Yep. <laughs> Cuz the altitude, I just was up up there. Anyway, so, um, so uh, I'm going to start with uh, the cover photo. Um, that was actually a self-portrait, not a selfie, a self-portrait. That was a joke. But, I don't know if you've, right. I don't know if you've seen the, the, have you seen have, the cover Has yet? anybody seen the cover? Somebody has it. Does somebody have the book on them? They can hold it up. There you go. It's a very yeah. dramatic. Right. Photo of Greg. And so um, it was, uh, um, there was a, uh, there is a local um, uh, art center called the Workhouse Art Center. And that's, that in itself has some history. It's where the suffragettes were, uh, were uh, imprisoned or housed when they were arrested uh, for fighting for the right to vote. And so if you've never been there, I encourage you, it's a, it's a place rich in history, but it's now an, uh, an art center. And um, and they were uh, they were they have some revolving space and they had a, a veterans exhibit um, uh, for veterans to enter um, their art answering the question how do veterans see themselves and uh, and so I uh, my first attempts uh, were these sort of classic. You know, Ernest Hemingway self-portraits or whatever—they were all disasters. They were just horrible, and I, I, I actually began to maybe get a little frustrated and and actually put it on the back burner because I wasn't coming up with anything that um, that that uh, struck me. And uh, one day I was uh, I was I was put, put playing around with a particular camera, and I realized that because it had such a wide field of view that I could get pretty close and. And capture my new body um, at a pretty close range. And uh, my wife Kim suggested that um, uh, that we do it in our backyard. And so I'm actually sitting at the top of the stairs of the walkout of our basement. 
and the camera's on a tripod. I had a cable release tied to it, and and I took a bunch of pictures. And uh, and and the one that you, uh, the, the one that's on the cover was the one that I ended up um, uh, blowing up and and um, and making. That was my entry into the um, to the exhibit, and I called it "Scarred Resilient" because. Um, I'm obviously scarred. There's nothing I can I can do to hide those scars, um, but I also felt resilient. And there was a there's a little um, uh, a little I don't want to say Easter egg, but I'm at the top of the stairs. So I've you know I've climbed the stairs to continue to live and continue to live my life. And uh, and so that was a photo was taken I think in I. I Around 2010, 2011, uh, maybe even 2012, but um, it was, you know, it, it wasn't anything that I did or anything. It just um, wasn't something that was always out there. And then we were, when it was time to, we decided on, you know, we were in the process of publishing the book and we were trying to figure out um, after we got it named um, what uh, was going to be the cover photo. and. Therese had some some ones that she thought were going to be um, uh, uh, prevalent or you know good candidates and and I'd given her this photo here and and she was sitting down with the publishers they saw it and and, and kind of I'd sent them some from the giant yep. uh, there's one of him uh, walking onto the field I guess it was during a practice and he's wearing a royal blue shirt and he's got the giant's logo over here and I think he had a camera even in his hand and he's kind of smirking and he's got sunglasses on and he's on his prosthetic legs and he's looking all cool. And I thought, oh, that's, that's gonna be a photo. But I sent the publisher a few and um, didn't know what he was gonna select. It's up to him. And um, wound up, uh, he's based in Tucson and wound up, John and I wound up in Tucson uh, and had lunch with him and he pulls out his laptop and he, he flipped through a couple of options and he landed on this one and I said, oh my goodness, that's got to be it. I thought maybe it was kind of too weird looking or odd looking. Greg even said, oh, I look naked. I look naked. Yeah, it does. It grabs your attention. Plus teal's my favorite color, which was just a coincidence. He had it in teal. I'm like, all right, that's, that's it. That's the color. That's how that came out. We were just at the workhouse and Greg was able to raffle off the photo Blown up photo, yep. cover photo. Yeah, the one I had there for the exhibit. For yep. yeah. So, what else do people ask? If people ask, are we nuts? Yeah, we could start there and, and but talk. Yeah, how we how we yeah. really met. At uh, well, we're we're at Walter the Matthew. Reed. Yep. Yeah. Right down the street. So you know the irony of. Um, a little bit of so just sort of subliminal memories of of this street, particularly 16th Street. It was the route that my wife drove me to Walter Reed for about 18 months as I was recovering. We were living on Fort Belvoir because we had uh, kids that had to get in school, and so at, you know after they went to school, um, she would drive me across uh, the 14th Street Bridge and up. 16th Street to Walter Reed every day, and uh, and so I literally, unknowing about the Institute of World Politics, passed this building. 
you know, uh, 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 twice a day. And, um, and, and then um, would end up, as uh, Dr. Winchowski shared, um, would end up uh, being able to, to do a, uh, an Army War, my Army War College Fellowship uh, right here. Has anyone been up near the old Walter Reed? Mm. Oh my goodness. Oh, I haven't seen it since it was paved. You haven't seen it since they it's it's pretty much not there. I mean the yeah. whole the main well what so the historic the main historic hospital is there. In fact, our author photo is we had we shot it there. Yep, in front the of that, that building one. There was a fire there back then recently. Was it really? Probably people, yeah, they went through some stuff. Um because it's it's graffitied and asbestoed and you can't go in. We talked the guy into opening the door for us so we could get some shots in there. But um, uh, the hospital that Greg recovered in it's is completely gone. Leveled. There's like a Whole Foods and condos and whatnot. If you if you had been there before, it's worth taking a drive. I was completely disoriented. I think the Matsy is. Someone said the Matsy is still standing, but you just couldn't get to it. I couldn't figure out. Anyway, the Matsy is the Military Advanced Training Center, which was brand new um, when I met Greg. So I was, again, working with the Pentagon Channel, and one of my first assignments for them was to go cover the opening of this new rehab center. And it was one year to the, to the day, uh, anniversary of the first part of the Washington Post series which was real scandalous. I don't know if you remember that, but they published a series of articles extremely critical of Walter Reed. Um, so one year later, this was kind of their answer to that series. They wanted to show what they had done to, to come back from that. Um, so I, um, after a small kerfuffle with the desk, um, I wound up there and uh, there were a number of wounded military there um, demonstrating the different equipment and Greg was learning to do use his new prosthetic legs and was on um, a pulley so he had on a harness which had a carabiner on the back on the cable and the cable was attached to the ceiling and it went around a track so he could walk on the track but be supported the whole way around in case he fell um, that he wouldn't just face plant he would partway fall so I'm there with the same grumpy photographer. Luckily, he was in a much better mood. <laughs> and um, he, he was rolling as Greg came walking by, and um, Greg fell right in front of me. Kind of did this Pinocchio thing hanging on his cable. And I went like this to talk to him and said, and um, he looked up at me and he says, are you going to use that? And I said, yeah. He gets up and he gets himself put all back together and he and he stomps off and goes, okay, I'm gonna come by again, do it right this time. And I said, well, and I thought, well, that's the moral of the story, right? They get they saw him fall, they're gonna see him fall, but they're gonna see him get back up and do it again, which he did. And that was and then yeah, and then I was getting ready to go and you're like, hey, what's your name? And I said, Therese, you go, I'm Greg. And um I had no idea of rank. I was brand new covering the military. I had covered politics in DC, did everything I could to stay away from the Pentagon. I didn't want to go in there. I didn't want to get all lost in there. I didn't want to, I didn't know anything about the military. And I always say, um, 
I didn't know much about the military and absolutely nothing about football. So I was the perfect person to write this book. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is Teresa's, uh, this is, well, it's our first book, but she, you know, look, we, she, she did the writing, so. So he lived it, I wrote it. Um, and this is her very first, uh, her very first book and, and um, how it really, how it came about, it was, I think it was uh, early 2008, um, after the, uh, after the Giants had uh, beat the, the Patriots in Super Bowl 42, um, my friend Chuck Schretzman, who, who was with me when we were at uh, Breckenridge, um, you know, got a hold of Therese and said, hey, you need to write about this. And uh, Therese at the time happened to sort of be, she was taking, uh, I think, was, wasn't your first writing class? Yeah. So she was, so in 2008, she's actually beginning the, 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 uh, the path to becoming a writer, and she's taken uh, some writing classes, and, and um, I think you'd written about some other things, and, it, and, really, and uh, Chuck mentioned me, and so she came to me and said, hey, would you, you mind if I use you as my, my subject to write about? And, and I said, yep, on two conditions. I said, first, you don't use my name. And second, I, I'm not interested in this like becoming a book. I mean, like, you can make it a book, but it's, I, I don't care about it being, I don't want it to be published. That's not why I'm doing it. And, um, and she agreed. She said she did, but she, she, agree <laughs> she agreed. And I'll let you take over from there. So I, so as I was, as I've mentioned, everyone's mentioned, I was a producer for most of my career, and we write a lot. Producers write a lot, but it's a different kind of writing. So I was taking some classes because I always wanted to write a book, so um, I decided I better learn how to do that. So I was uh, getting ready to uh, workshop what I had written. I'd written the first chapter or so, and um, he made me call him Harry. So I couldn't call him Greg Gadsden. I had to call him Harry. I don't remember if I even had a last name for him. And I, so I go to this workshop, which is at Eckerd College um, down in Gainesville. And I don't know if you've ever been part of a working, a writing workshop before, but they, um, you're in a group, people are writing similar things, and you, you get each other's work in advance, and you read it, and then you workshop it. You, on your day, they go around. So it gets to be my day, and um, I'm ready for my critique. And this woman, part of our workshop, stands up and says, this woman is a plagiarist. His name isn't Harry. His name is Greg Gadsden. I Googled it and I know, and she's cheating. <laughs> so, so as you can imagine, I had to talk my way out of that. I was pretty easy to talk my way out of that since I had the notes and probably pictures. Look, I know him, I know the guy. Um, yeah, so that was kind of a, one little stumbling block um, on our way to publication. And after that, um, he let me use his real name. And obviously, I won on the publishing thing, too. <laughs> so how long did we, like, how long did we work on that and then we came to a stop? Or keep going with that. You know, came like, to a stop. Well, like, kind of the... I thought it was the end. Yeah. 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 So, um... 
I didn't even know that he was talking to the Giants. He hadn't mentioned. We we talk on the phone every once in a while, and uh, we became friends. And um, he, but he didn't tell me anything about, hey, I'm going to go talk to the New York Giants. It didn't come up in conversation, I guess. So it was Chuck. His friend Chuck called me up and said, hey, you know, he's talking to the Giants. And um, and uh, so then, right, that's when I asked him if he uh, would let me write the book. So so I interview people who were in the Humvee with him, and I interview people about the movie, or not about... Um, about his recovery, his doctors, um, his therapists, and uh, Mike Sullivan from the Giants, and la 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 la, and then they won the Super Bowl, the end. And um, I thought I was done. And um, Greg calls me up, I don't know, at some point. He's like, hey, I'm gonna be in this movie. I'm like, ah, movie schmovie, I'm done. And then he's like, hey, I, um, we're gonna go to Iceland and I'm gonna test out these new these new prosthetic legs. I'm like, ah, yeah, legs, legs, ah, I'm done. I'm not going back in, I'm not, I'm, I'm finished. Um, oh, I'm gonna testify before Congress. And he wasn't bragging, we were just telling me these things were happening and finally I'm like, okay, Rihanna, <laughs> Brooklyn Decker, Liam Neeson, I guess I have to put this in the book. So then I went back and then it was another few years of um, research and he just kept doing things, so I couldn't end it. So uh, finally, a couple years ago, I was able to actually type the end. And there's obviously more coming, but it had to it had to go to print, go to print at some point. And I found a publisher, which is the hardest thing ever. I'm sure. You, well, I don't know if you all are mostly academics, or or if you've, any of you have gone through that uh, difficult journey of trying to find someone. I had this great story. I'm like, I couldn't even believe it. I just so couldn't believe it. I couldn't find an agent. I couldn't find a publisher for about two years. And I never did get the agent, which turned out to be good because now I just, um, we're at, we're at a, a medium sized press and uh, it's worked out great. Yeah. There was some, and I think uh, in that part of the journey, I don't, that doesn't really come out so much in the book, but, you know, um, you know, it was, I I felt a little like the encourager with with uh, like okay so I didn't really want to publish once I agreed that we were going to all right we're gonna we're gonna publish it and and then uh, you know the finding a publisher was was difficult and and Therese honestly was doing all that work I I didn't I, I wasn't able to to help there and. Um, and I know she was frustrated at times. I mean, frustrated. She's like, "Why don't we just self-publish it?" And I'm like, "I'm like, no, no. It's 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 a great story. It's good enough to be published. We're gonna." And um, and so it was sort of. Um, I, I felt like sort of it was it was different from my journey, but it was the same from the standpoint. It was just a matter of just sort of. It was about patience. It was about perseverance, and and, um, and, and uh, we found someone. And and then the other thing we would kind of say about the book, Therese says it better. But um, I mean, I had uh, I, I had a few people that a couple of authors that came to me kind of right after the the Super Bowl thing that wanted to 
wanted to do uh, do a book, and I, I was like, no, I don't want to have any. This isn't about me, and and I never wanted it to to be about me, and and I guess it it, it took a long time for me to kind of accept that and get over that it was about me but it wasn't about me and um well the mission for me always was to get his story in the hands of people who can read it right so initially i wanted it to be included in they used to give those backpacks out i think the wounded soldiers coming incoming into walter reed just just do this and we'll stick it and they'll staple it together and we'll just stick it in the backpack and I of course couldn't turn it around fast enough and then you know there there was not as many incoming and um, you know time went on so obviously I didn't do that but I still felt very strongly that I wanted this in the hands we have such a high suicide rate right among military among veterans we have um, still people who are wounded who their wounds don't go away right they're still wounded um, so that's my goal has always been, our goal has always been to get it into the hands of other um, wounded military, but also anyone who is recovering from anything, you know, uh, drug addiction, you know, alcoholism, um, any kind of loss or anyone who's struggling. One of the things that Greg always likes to say is struggle. Life is about the struggle. You, you just know you're living. You know you're living if you're struggling, right? That's uh, that's really what the book is about. I would say it's a little bit about the military and it's a little bit about football, but make sure to start recovering. Any questions? Anybody got any questions? I have a comment, if you don't mind. Yeah, yep. Um, to me, uh, again, as, as Greg just mentioned, um, I was in Vietnam and last night back in Vietnam and we had absolutely nothing to, to work with at that point. But um, as things progressed our sports program became you know focused on the you know, fighting and with what you have worked on here as a player and as a program. But um, uh, and I did that for forty nine years. But um, uh, I'm retired now but I haven't read the book yet and I can tell you this about Greg. Uh, he embodies so much uh, that is positive about dealing with disability and tragedy and, you know, things that would overwhelm most people in one way. Uh, you know, when we were in Vietnam, the worst thing you could get hit with was, was usually a mortar round and a, and a grenade. It was, you know, an impacted by grenades like this big round. These guys were hit by 50 pound bombs, okay, uh, that totally ripped their bodies apart. Um, like the, the tent, I'm sure people are aware, he died several times while they were trying to save his life. And he came back from that, and he arrived at Walter Reed and started getting involved in our sports program. Uh, you know, a lot of people, they still, you know, sort of have days and what's going on with my life and who am I anymore? I'm talking about the Walter, you know, self-image and whatever. And, uh, this guy arrived, and he was mission-oriented from the start. Uh, he wanted to know what he needed to do to get in shape so he could go out and do whatever. And he was willing to try anything just 
faith to make himself better, but also doing this the work that needed to be done, you know, to get in shape and to go on. And for us, he was an inspiration to so many of the wounded boys. He had one of the worst injuries, and they saw him coming back, and there's no excuse for anybody else not to. Uh, so from that point of view, it shows what can be done if you really put your mind to it and really work at, you know, dealing with the disability and moving on and getting back into life. But he also embodies, you know, when I got uh, hit, you know, we all were mustered out. I mean, you know, you're disabled, get out of the army. Uh, in his era, he was one of the guys that turned everything around and now has a wounded warrior segment within the army that tries to figure out ways to keep these people they train in the service and serving in the military. And he ended up commanding a base in uh, in Washington, D.C., one of the biggest in Washington, D.C. And that was an example of realizing the talents of people with disabilities and giving them the opportunity to, to perform regardless of what their disability is. And uh, so you really embody a whole lot of stuff that we, I think is a very positive uh, uh, part of you know, dealing with disability and, and moving on and becoming something in, in, in society. So I just want to thank you for your example and for uh, for inspiring so many other people, including myself, uh, in, in this journey. Oh, thank you, Kurt. That means a lot. Thank you. Yes, sir. Um, is the touring of battleships exclusive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I did help save the world, yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. He fought an alien. Can I say something about that? Uh, my, we share a, pro a prophecy. Yep. So when they get uh, Greg over to my do the filming in Hawaii, my prophet is, uh, listen, so I, I would give all the stories back about what was going on. They basically originally had him scheduled for a little cameo appearance, you know, just to kind of, you know, a little bit of a cameo kind of thing to keep the story going. And the guy did such a great job that they, they just kept rewriting the script and putting more and more of him into the movie. Uh, and again, that's another example of, of this guy's talent. Um, but that's, that's the story that we have from behind the scenes. Because the process had to do it the whole time and say something great. Question that's still coming up. Um, Sure. Um, I, I, I would say, uh, I, and I've said this in the past, that your, your physical wounds, um, they heal relatively quickly to, um, than your, your, your psychological, your emotional, mental wounds. Um, um, they, take a, they take a whole lot longer because you're, you know, you're having to reorganize your life on so, again, so many different levels. Um, and, and ultimately, I would say this. Um, um, I and my family, we, we, we came to a point where there was only so far that we could go that we could get ourselves. And, and it was absolutely um, the help of mental health professionals. Um, on an individual and, a, and sometimes as a on a group level 
that we needed uh, to use or we need to utilize to to help us uh, continue to move in a direction uh, that was that was positive. Um, you know, I um, but I also in, in but I but I, I would also uh, have to emphasize that um, that my faith, the role of my faith. Um, uh, is absolutely at the top of what allowed me to kind of uh, begin to move forward. You know, um, oftentimes, I mean, I can I can talk and I'll listen to people, and you know, and uh, again, you know, there, there's there's guys like that are like me that are have survivor's guilt. I remember feeling guilty that I left my soldiers. Um, back in Iraq and I'm in a hospital room with half my body gone and I felt guilty. I mean, that seems counterintuitive, but I had guilt that I failed them. And uh, I mean, when I think about it now, I can still get very, um, I can honestly still get very emotional about it if I, if I go down that path. Um, and, um, a lot of people want to know why, they want to understand why. Well, I go, yeah, the son of a bitch was trying to kill me. You know, that's the why. Um, but a lot of times, I, I think in life in general, uh, having to answer the why doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't fix anything. Um, but your but your willingness to accept what has happened to you, truly accept it, and and uh, release that so it doesn't encumber you, is what uh, my faith allowed me to do. Um, that acceptance is what ultimately allowed me to forgive. And I will tell you this. Um, you know, I, uh, the, you'll read that I said, God, I don't want to die here. And on an intellectual level, you can, you'll, you'll read that I went through a lot. Uh, and that in itself is a miracle that I'm here. But I would argue that the true miracle for me was um, I'm now out of the intensive care and I'm on Ward 57 in my hospital room. You know, day to day, kind of wondering if this is a bad dream. Every day I wake up wondering if, if my body's gonna be there. This is some nightmare. Um, but as that settled, um, there was the, the, the one emotion that was missing was hate. I was not angry about what happened to me. And I, I, I've often said you could have put the person in front of me that did this to me and given me a weapon, and I had no compunction. I had no desire to even the score. And so I knew I was really at peace with what had happened. And, huh? That, that, because, uh, because, this is this is beyond me to ever understand. That's you know that's what our faith does. 
Our faith allows us to close the gap for what we don't understand. That, and, and God took that from me. Absolutely. And, uh, and so I was unencumbered. Like, you know, Kurt said, I was trying anything. I was unafraid. I mean, I had this new, there was this new life that I had. You know, I was 18 inches shorter, but I was freer now than I ever was. When uh, Greg talked about his soldiers um, and talks about having survivors, survivor's guilt, um, one of the things that enabled me to write the book was how much his soldiers loved him. I was, he pointed me in the direction, give me some names, and I, uh, it was hard to find them. It was hard to track them down. You know, they deploy here and there. Some of them got out. Um, but I was able to find a couple of them who were in the Humvee. And all I had to do was say the name Greg Gadsden, and they'd say, ma'am, how can I help you? Ma'am, how can I help you? And the same with his doctors and his therapists, everyone. Everyone is, as always, wants to be super helpful. Um, and one, one guy who was... Uh, in the Humvee that blew up with Greg. Um, he was the one who, once everyone realized, it took a few minutes for everyone to realize that because he'd been blown out of the truck, so they didn't, they thought he wasn't there, but they didn't know where he was. They thought maybe he'd run ahead or, so uh, once they finally realized he was wounded, um, the guy who was next in command suddenly realized, oh, gosh, this is my scene. I got to get it together. I got to establish a perimeter. I have to get this chaos that's happening here in order. Um, and his name was Brad Bandy. And I couldn't find him. Couldn't find him anywhere. The internet, I was begging my um, army friends to look in the directory because I don't have access to it as a civilian. Can you help me? And that, you know, and no, I, I couldn't find him. And uh, probably a year. But I knew he would be the one that had all the great information. So uh, one day, I'm just I'm going to try one more time. I'm just surfing around on the web, and this document <laughs> comes up, and it's some letter somebody had written to somebody that was, for some reason, on there. And it had somebody with the last name of Bandy spelled the same way. And I thought, what the heck? And the guy's email was there. So I sent whoever this was off an email and said, hey, if you know a guy named Brad Bandy, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find him to write, help, uh, I need a help writing a book. And a couple weeks went by and I was sitting at my desk and my cell phone rang and I didn't recognize the number and I normally don't even pick up if I don't recognize the number. And I picked it up and he says, is this Therese? And I said, yep. And he goes, this is Brad Bandy. I heard you've been looking for me. I said, hallelujah. Because he gave me, he had photos. He had gone out to the motor pool and taken photos of the blown up from B. He had the forensic report. He had um, a you know, very detailed description of everything that had happened that night. And so that's how that whole first, much of the first chapter. Came Brad was one of my company commanders, Brad. and he was actually sitting behind me. So... You know, there were five of us in the vehicle and three of them, not a scratch. Um, my interpreter, um, who was a U.S. citizen contractor, 
was wounded and he had a leg wound. He was a 58 year old. Um, uh, he was 58 years old at the time. Um, Mike Oro from from the Detroit area. Um, he was wounded and then and I was wounded. But my driver, um, the young man in the turret, and and Brad sitting behind me, not a scratch. The medic, the medic was in the Humvee. Cube. Oh, question. Yeah, this is not a question. It's a statement. It's something you don't care. In the future, uh, just this afternoon, we, we had the first major project. The IWC is having to rekindle to to revisit the legacy of Edward Eisenhower. There are several people here, including yourself, who know him very well. And John reminded me of you uh, stepping out in his introduction, stepping out and walking down the street in the street. And not that I'm going to have any problems with that, but that reminded me of the recent fatality. And uh, we're going to start a drive, we've already started it already, to preserve and exhibit. Invitation is it's just starting today before six minutes before we arrive. Uh -huh. <laughs> But so no, I would. Uh, 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 we can find a way to participate. Maybe the slang sales. Uh, <laughs> Well, let me, I'll start. So um, I, I think in a lot of, I think, I don't know if I ever said that, but I, I, mm -hmm. in some ways I'd almost, I almost thought of Teresa as like my sister. Uh, um, from this perspective, like I could just, I knew I could, I tr it was just this amazing trust that I could say, anything and talk about anything and and you know she might call me up and you know she wants to make sure she's got something straight or or um or had some question and I would 
provide us some clarification or maybe provide us some names or something. Because there was, she was part investigative reporter, you know, um, and I am, um, I'm, <coughs> I'm unashamedly sharing my emotions around her. She's seen me, you know, uh, I think, didn't something happen in Breckenridge early mm -hmm. on? Like, I just started crying. I mean, it was just. You were showing Chuck. Um, that's in the that's in the book. I don't want to, but um, you were showing Chuck. I had taken a break inside to warm up, and to get Mister Grumpy warmed up, and and um, I saw him and Chuck sitting at a table taking a break talking. His best friend Chuck Sussman, and I went over and got two beers, brought him over, and I was just about to set them on the table, and I realized that Greg was in tears. I mean, just tears. And he was showing Chuck pictures of the Humvee, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was pretty. It was still raw. It's still very emotional. I mean, I think for the first eighteen months or two years, at some point during my active day, it was like a broken recording that would just it would be that that explosion. You know, it, it didn't it didn't impact me like it didn't make me sad or anything, but it would just happen like in unpredictable, unpredictable times. But one other thing I wanted to share was it was actually during the pandemic. And um, um, I decided first I thought I was I wanted to drive all the way across the country and back. I didn't I didn't make it all the way. I, I made as far as Utah. Um, before I turned around. So I was on the road for, you know, for three weeks. Um, two of the weeks were completely by myself, you know, just traveling in, the, in my vehicle. And I tried to uh, journal a little bit and, and I wanted to share it with Therese. I wanted her to kind of, um, I wanted her to be in, in my head. And, and I think one of the, one of the more profound things that I, um, that I really wanted to share with her was I, I got out to Moab, Utah. I don't know if you've been through the arches. And I was able to go to two of the parks, Canyonland and, and the arches. And, and I'm a, you know, my, my passion in life is my photography. And, you know, 99% of the time, you know, I don't, I don't think about my injuries or they just, they just happen in stride and they do. Um, <laughs> They do what, um, you know, it is what it is. But when I got to Moab and there were places that I couldn't go or at least go safely, I mean, I, I, I started there, you know, it was like this, this moment where I just said, you know, this is, this is part of the price I paid. And, um, I got again. I I started crying. I mean, I, I I called Therese and wanted to share that with her. Like, I I said I had to share this with you. I don't know if it's you're going to use it. It didn't matter. You know, like when I talked to her, I didn't I didn't talk to her with the purpose of I want this in the book or I don't. I just wanted her to feel me to 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 understand what I was going through and. And um, and she did an incredible 
incredible job of just sort of taking me and 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 processing it and putting it on paper. So some of the one of the things that happened during COVID was that he had to stay grounded, right? He couldn't go get on an airplane because it was always hard to get a hold of. But during COVID, we could talk. We talked a few times a week, and he had not. That's when I finally read the book. Well, yeah. she, she read. Like I couldn't he get past chapter three. It was chapter it three was years. just. It was just I was done. And. Um, so we read the book together. We got on Zoom. And about three times a week, we'd get like 8.30 in the morning, we'd just read for an hour. Just, and he would, just, so I wanted to make sure he, you know, I wasn't getting anything wrong. And, um, you know, it'd be a good idea for him to. She was trying to make sure I could read, but. <laughs> I wasn't sure. And, um, yeah, and it was interesting because he didn't know some of the things that had happened. Because he was unconscious for the first three or four chapters, right? So. He didn't, he was unaware of some of it. So when he, especially the first couple, that was, that was pretty emotional. Yeah. And then the other thing that's really, um, I won't, I won't, I'll touch on a little bit, super emotional is just, um, again, how, um, how my soldiers felt about me. I mean, you know, you don't go around leading people, hoping you just. Yeah, I I didn't, and and it's it's overwhelming what comes across about how they how they felt about me. I have a little book at home uh, that my EXO passed around the battalion for soldiers to to leave me notes. You know, the first few days after I was wounded, and I have yet. To be able to get through uh, the first half dozen pages of that, so so my bookshelf, and I know it's there, but it is um, it's too emotional. It is absolutely too emotional. They lined up to give blood, a lot of them, and I was never able to track that down for sure. I'm going to say with 75, 80 percent accuracy that they. They did that, but I never could figure. I never could get it solid enough to put it in the book. John, here's a, a story. Um, so, the Iraqi soldiers, the leaders, uh, the night they found out I was wounded, um, they they endured some pretty significant in, indignities to get through security to. Um, uh, to come and see me. And they said that it, they had never seen that before. And and so, you know, you just, you, you knew you reached, I mean, it's kind of a bad way to find out you reach people, but but um, that was incredibly humbling. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, start again. Um, you know, I, I think it's, 
uh, for me, it's, it's probably a little less sophisticated and just this general appreciation that you have to go on. You have to go on. You know, I, I think about the men and women who didn't make it back. And I know every one of them would love a chance, to, you know, would have loved a chance to survive, would have loved a chance to live a life. And I just think it's my, my duty, I, it's my obligation to keep trying, to keep living. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not sophisticated. I need to, this is what I'm going to do or what I'm not. I, I, I didn't know. I just, but, but I held myself, I tried to hold myself accountable to live in my best life, live in my best opportunity. And, you know, the odd, the crazy thing about this journey is that none of the things that, the great things that have happened are any that I imagined or ever thought of. They were, they were all opportunities that, that I was willing to try. You know, Peter Burke called me up and said, hey, I'd like you to be, I was, in fact, I was, uh, I was here at IWP and, and uh, he called me up and, I, and I'm like, Mikey, I, I just said, well, what do I got to lose? I didn't even think anything was gonna come of it. In fact, I never went to, to even do a screen. They wanted me to come out to LA to do a screen test and I didn't go. Cause I was like, ah, I'm getting ready to go back to work full time. It's not gonna happen. And so the director flies out and uh, I hate to admit this, but I do my screen test in Dan Snyder's office Washington Redskins, and because uh, he was he, he was friends with Dan Snyder, and and uh, he says, "Okay, you'll work out." And I was like, "Oh boy, so how do I get out of this?" So, um, you know, if if I could if I could say to you what this book and part of it means to me is it's about us living our lives and being present. I mean literally living our lives like this is the last day we have. Because that's, that's really what I had to do. There wasn't any kind of blueprint. I mean, there wasn't any path to follow. All I could do was just get through a day. And, and, and that became my focus. I'm not gonna worry about tomorrow. I'm just gonna live today. And, and, and as things started to get better and started to prove, I go, this is working. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm going to keep living today. Greg also had a wonderful family um, who uh, just very, very supportive and um, went through, obviously, their own challenges and uh, came through in the end. I, <laughs> okay, Kim, Kim was... Um, an ideal, I think, caregiver. My poor husband gets a fever or something. I'm like, here's some aspirin. See you later. <laughs> yep. Great people. Well, I was still in active duty when I did the movie. Wow. Yeah, I was still in active duty. I um, so I um. I finished IWP in, in, in June of 2010, and I assumed uh, uh, duties uh, 
first as the director of the Army Wounded Warrior Program in July, and I started filming in August. And so I would take leave to go film. So I was flying back and forth to Hawaii, and we did, uh, we did about half the movie was filmed in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And, um, and then one scene, the uh, only scene, the very first one you see me in the movie, we actually did at Joint Base San Antonio. So. I think it's, Thank you.